Hi everyone, and welcome back to the seventh episode of the Let's Talk Law podcast with me, your host, Wendy. If you tuned in to last week's episode, then you might know that we talked about a very old case, one that was decided in 1837. This week's episode is quite the opposite, as it was only decided just a couple of months ago in April of 2021. As always, we do have some background information to go through so that you guys can get the best understanding of this case. This week, I first want to talk about the Eighth Amendment. The Eighth Amendment is quite simple and says, quote-unquote, Excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. It's not too hard to understand the basics of this amendment, But what exactly is considered cruel and unusual punishment, and what does it mean for minors? In this week's case, we'll be talking about how the Supreme Court tackled this question in the court case Jones v. Mississippi. On July 9, 2004, Brett Jones, who was born on July 17, 1989, was living with his grandparents, Burtis and Madge Jones, in Shannon, Mississippi. Shannon is a town in Lee County, Mississippi, and has a population of about 2,000 people. Because Brett and his grandparents share the same surname, and it might be confusing as to which Jones the case refers to, I'll be using all of the Joneses' first names to hopefully make things a bit clearer. As we get deeper into the case, I'm sure you'll be able to recognize which Jones the case is named after. At the time, Brett Jones was only 15 years old and was legally a minor in the state of Mississippi. On the morning of August 9th, Burtis Jones, Brett's grandfather, found Michelle Austin, Brett's girlfriend, in his grandson's room. After this, an argument ensued between Brett and Burtis, and Burtis told Austin to leave. A couple of hours after the argument, Burtis told Austin that he was, quote-unquote, going to hurt his grandfather. That afternoon, when Brett was making himself something to eat, he got into another argument with his grandfather. Brett claims that the argument escalated quickly and that his grandfather pushed him. In return, Brett pushed back. Brett says that his grandfather quote-unquote swung at him and cornered him. In response to this, Brett stabbed his grandfather with a kitchen knife. When the kitchen knife broke, Brett grabbed another knife and continued to stab Burtis. In total, Brett stabbed his grandfather eight times. Burtis managed to stagger outside but died and fell to the ground. Brett did not call 911. Instead, Brett claims that he tried to give his grandfather CPR. When his attempts failed, Brett tried to cover up the murder. First, he dragged Burtis's body back inside. Next, he used a water hose to wash the blood off of his arms, changed his dirty clothes, and moved Burtis's car over some blood stains on the floor. However, when Brett was outside, his neighbor spotted him and called the police. Soon after that, another neighbor spotted Brett and his girlfriend, Austin, leaving the house together on foot. Later that same night, police managed to find Brett and Austin at a gas station several miles away. When they were questioned, both Brett and Austin gave the police fake names. However, when Brett was patted down, the police found a knife. When the officer found it, he asked if it was the knife that Brett had quote-unquote done it with, to which the 15-year-old responded, no, I already got rid of it. 
In court, Brett Jones was charged with murder. He attempted to claim self-defense, but the jury rejected this defense. Mississippi law at the time had a mandatory sentence of life without parole. In 2006, the Mississippi Court of Appeals affirmed this decision. At this point, since it's already now clearly been established that Brett Jones is the center of this case and is the one that the case is named after, I'll be referring to Brett Jones as just Jones in order to keep it consistent with the title of the case. Jones later filed a motion for post-conviction relief. Post-conviction relief is when defendants that are convicted of a crime seek to get their convictions overturned, sentence modified, records erased, or civil rights reinstated. In this case, Jones claimed that his mandatory life without parole sentence violated the Eighth Amendment's claim that no cruel or unusual punishment could be used. The trial court denied the motion, but the Mississippi Court of Appeals affirmed it. Jones then petitioned the Mississippi Supreme Court for a writ of certiorari. If you remember from one of the earlier episodes, a writ of certiorari is when a lower court delivers its record in a case so that a higher court can review it. Now, this is the part where things can get a bit confusing since the Jones v. Mississippi case takes information from two other state court cases. In 2012, while the Mississippi Supreme Court was deciding on whether or not to review Jones's case, the case Miller v. Alabama, which took place in the Alabama Supreme Court, happened. The significance of this case is that it held that the cruel and unusual clause of the Eighth Amendment prohibits mandatory life without parole sentences for murderers under the age of 18. However, the court allowed discretionary life without parole sentences for these offenders as well. Judges, they said, should look at other factors that may have influenced such acts. These factors are called the Miller factors and take into account 1. The juvenile's age and immaturity, 2. Family home environment, 3. Circumstances of the offense, 4. The incapacities of youth that may have disadvantaged the juvenile, and 5. The chance of rehabilitation. With this news, the Mississippi Supreme Court concluded that the Miller decision applied on state collateral review. For Jones, the state Supreme Court held that he would have a new sentencing hearing where his age would be taken into account and that the judge could use his or her own discretion to decide a new sentence. At the resentencing, Jones's lawyer, David M. Shapiro, argued that Jones's quote-unquote chronological age and its hallmark features diminished the penological justifications for imposing the harshest sentences. Additionally, his lawyer said that, quote-unquote, nothing in this record would support the finding that the offense reflects irreparable corruption. At the end of the hearing and with the acknowledgement that the judge had discretion in sentencing Jones, the judge still determined that life without parole was an appropriate sentence for Jones. Jones appealed this sentence to the Mississippi Court of Appeals, citing information from the Miller decision and the recently decided case Montgomery v. Louisiana. 
Montgomery v. Louisiana had been decided on January 25, 2016 by the Louisiana Supreme Court. The decision of Montgomery was that the previous Miller v. Alabama ruling that said a mandatory life sentence without parole shouldn't be applied to persons convicted of murder as a juvenile should be applied retroactively. The Montgomery decision also barred the use of life sentences without parole for juveniles, quote-unquote, for all but the rarest of juvenile offenders, those whose crimes reflect permanent incorrigibility, meaning that the sentence should not be used unless a juvenile is unable to be, quote-unquote, changed. According to Jones, in order to give a life without parole sentence to someone who committed a murder as a juvenile, the sentencer must make a fine that the defendant is permanently incorrigible. However, the Mississippi Supreme Court rejected this on the statement that, quote-unquote, Miller did not require trial courts to make a finding of fact regarding a child's incorrigibility. This was a statement that came from the Montgomery decision. Because of the disagreements between state and federal courts, the Supreme Court granted certiorari, which Jones had filed the movement for, if you recall. On April 22, 2021, the Supreme Court made its decision. In a 6-3 vote, the court affirmed the decision that the Mississippi Court of Appeals made to maintain the life sentence against Jones. The court decided that a sentencing authority did not need to show that the juvenile was permanently incorrigible before giving the life without parole sentence. Additionally, it stated that a discretionary system is both constitutionally necessary and sufficient in imposing these sentences for juveniles who committed a homicide while under the age of 18. The majority opinion was written by Justice Kavanaugh. He was joined by Justices Roberts, Thomas, Alito, Gorsuch, and Barrett. In his opinion, he wrote how the state courts and not the federal courts make these decisions based on facts and backgrounds of the offender. Dissenting judges Sotomayor, Breyer, and Kagan wrote that a sentencer must make the judgment if the juvenile is one of the rare children for whom life without parole is a constitutionally permissible sentence. Sotomayor, who wrote the minority opinion, said that the decision was a break from precedent and that under Montgomery, sentencing discretion is necessary, but under Miller, it is not. To give a summary of this case, I would say that there was a 15-year-old who murdered his grandfather, and the mandatory sentence for this crime was life without parole. The sentence that the juvenile was given brought up the question if the sentence was cruel and unusual punishment and violated the Eighth Amendment. One court case, Miller, that had been decided during the case with the 15-year-old boy, found that the sentence violated his Eighth Amendment right and that he would be sentenced with other factors kept in mind. However, another court case, Montgomery, found that the Miller case was only for those who were deemed, quote-unquote, permanently incorrigible. This led to the question of whether or not the Eighth Amendment required a sentencing authority to find that the juvenile was permanently incorrigible before imposing a life sentence without the possibility of parole. 
the Supreme Court found that a sentencing authority did not have to. This case provided a lot of insight because juvenile sentencing and crime have always been something that has been widely disputed. It's always interesting to look at very recent court cases because we really get to see how things are always changing. Now, before I end this week's episode, I want to make sure that I add in the little fact. This week, to keep up with the theme, we have a law from Mississippi that was enacted in 2013. This law, or bill, is known as the Anti-Bloomberg Bill and bans communities from requiring restaurants to limit portion sizes. Additionally, the bill bars counties and towns from enacting rules that require nutrition information and calorie counts to be posted along with allowing uncapped portion sizes and stopping calorie counts the bill would also make it so toys could be kept in children's meals i think this law is quite interesting only because it applies to something most people don't think about i guess they really do have a law for everything and so that's the end of this week's episode if you like the episode or want to give me any suggestions for what i should talk about feel free to email me at letstalklawwm at gmail.com or find me on Instagram at letstalklawpodcast. Remember to check back every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for a new episode. Until then, I'll speak to you next week. Bye!